0: Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Conrad. I'm a senior editor at Forbes, and I'm here to introduce you to a little-known venture capital firm probably have never heard of called Sequoia. So, awesome. Um, Jess and Danny, thank you for joining. Do you mind um, introducing yourselves to these LPs who probably have never heard of you?
1: <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Jess. I've been at Sequoia about five years. I do a, a mix of enterprise, consumer, in, uh, and healthcare investing. And uh, before that, I was CEO and co-founder of a a social commerce company called Polyvore.
2: Hi everyone, really nice to be in person with you today. I'm Danny. I am coming up on my one year anniversary at Sequoia, officially it's tomorrow. And before joining the firm, um, I spent the beginning of my career, the first six years at HubSpot, uh, mostly in sales, sales leadership, and a little bit of product. And then I spent the last four years at Slack overseeing uh, much of the sales work.
0: Got it. Um, so obviously, I was kidding. The, the real truth is that upfront, um, asked to have as many Sequoia partners on stage at once to take them out so that they could try to do some deals in the meantime. <laughs> but um, we only got two. But I think that's good. Um, We're Jess, all friends
2: here. Oh right. Taking anyone out.
0: Okay, fair enough. I just meant uh, you know trying to get that term sheet in. Um, <laughs> Jess, you have a really um, interesting story of how you joined Sequoia in terms of like how they made the offer and, and brought you in. do you mind sharing that with people who maybe you know haven't heard that before? Yeah,
1: um, I met Rulaf Bota who who leads the firm um, at a conference. I was pitching, and I thought that when he asked me to meet that he would want to invest in my company and instead he was like. No, 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 we don't want to invest. Actually, maybe you should leave your company and you should maybe be a VC. And I was like, this is the worst pitch meeting (laughs) in my entire life. This, wait, you don't, you not only don't want to invest, you also think I should leave my own company. But he was very memorable. And I just, he really stood out to me as someone who was a former operator and just very observant of human nature. And I just found him really interesting. Then two years later, after we sold the company, um, uh, we got back in touch and, uh, Sort of happened from that. Went on from there. I think I had a lot of concerns as a former operator. I wasn't sure I wanted to be in a firm. I'd heard a lot of things about Sequoia, um, about it being sharp-elbowed, and but as I got to know the partners, I found that I really liked them. And I think my main concern was, could I do this job my way, sort of be myself? And so I think they really wanted to show that that was possible. And so they knew that I'm. I happen to be a, a big comic book geek. I loved cosplay. So i go to Comic-Con in San Diego, dress up all four days as a character that I love. And so when I went to meet them and they were presenting the offer, and actually I didn't know they were presenting the offer that day. They, I walked into this random Pete's coffee shop in Mountain View and Rulof Bota and Jim Getz were dressed as Buzz Lightyear and Woody, like full like Disneyland mascot costumes. And they were like, you can be yourself, look at us. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I kind of signed on the spot, yeah.
0: Jess, were you, um, before we get to which costumes they were for Danny, um, <laughs> <laughs> were you thinking about joining an, other VC firms when you made the commitment, or what What was sort of the driver to, to pull the trigger with Sequoia?
1: No, I was not, actually. I, I um, had not been thinking about venture, and honestly, no one else reached out to me, just to be very honest. Um, I was thinking that I would start another company in social commerce or consumer social, and what drew me to Sequoia was sort of, I, I just, as a, as a female founder working in, Polywar was uh, social commerce, but particularly around women's fashion. I just, I found it really hard to fundraise. I would always go into these rooms and say, women's fashion is a really big market. And people would say to me, is it though really? And then I'd be like, well, women are 150% of humans. 100% of us wear clothes. I would literally take the, uh, <laughs> the September issue of Vogue, which was like a thousand pages at the time, and I would throw it down on conference tables and say, that's a hundred million dollars in this one issue. Now imagine that on the internet. And it was just really hard to, to get traction there. And so I, um, I just always had this thought that the people who control capital, like think about, you know, it's natural to think about your own problems, problems you understand and want to back those problems. And so who is on the investor side of the table really affects what, customers' problems get solved in the world, and I thought, well, women control 80% of household purchasing power. We make a lot of the medical decisions in the home. You often become the chief medical officer of the home, the primary caregiver, and so I thought maybe if I went to the other side, I could make a difference from that front. So that was a big driver of, of why I decided to come into venture, yeah.
0: That's awesome. Danny, what about you? Um, did you were you wooed by any cosplay costumes or anything
2: You can imagine my disappointment <laughs> when it was okay, to be fair, I got my offer from Sequoia in the heart of Covid, and Pat Grady and Carl Eschenbach met me at the office, and they were wearing blazers and <laughs> jeans. I was eight and a half months pregnant, so I was kind of like, waddling in myself, not sure how to interact with people outside of Zoom, like here on up. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I don't know. The the entire process of meeting the Sequoia team completely changed my opinion of venture. So my story, like I told you earlier, is that I had been an operator for 14 years. Um, I had gone to business school in between HubSpot and Slack. And after business school, for whatever reason, like I really wanted to be ahead head of sales but I was being recruited for VC. And I think it was like the the start of the whole um, operators as investor wave. And I was like, no, VC is for lone wolf, kind of like hunters who are cerebral and like data rooms. And I'm a teams person and I like building, I like high-fiving, I'm in sales. So I like like, the momentum and a loud office. And And also I was 31 and not done learning how to build. And I didn't think I had proper wisdom to share with founders, so um, I ended up finding this opportunity at Slack, thank goodness, and had four amazing years there, and right as I was kind of like picking my head up to figure out what's next, like what's the next five-year chapter, um, some VCs started reaching out, I think because it was like late 2020, and... Uh, what was changing in venture as i 'm told is that it went from being kind of like a somewhat more reactive wait till people come to you uh, type of uh, type of profession to like really appreciating being a salesperson and getting into market and hunting and talking to new people and so um, so I started having these conversations, and then, as soon as I met the Sequoia team. I realized that teamwork was absolutely core to the way that the firm operates. Like, if Jess sponsors an investment, it's not called Jess's investment. It is full Team Sequoia who is supporting the founder. And, like, that also meant that my very first week before I'd even sponsored an investment, I could actually chip in and help our founders and feel like I'm contributing to this firm. So the second I started interviewing, you know, it was gut decision that also my logic brain could could logic myself into and no brainer
1: can, can i just add though i think we, we felt like we had a danny shaped hole inside of our growth team where we really wanted like the, especially especially the the growth stage i think it's it's gone more from like oh I, let me look at the best companies and like maybe pick and it's 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 a really fast pace just like almost as fast as the early stage and so we knew we wanted someone who could win over founders and we knew that you know, product-led growth and a bottoms-up sales was, like, one of the, the biggest trends inside of enterprise. And that was what we were looking for very, very specifically. And that's what Danny's an expert at. And so, yeah, we, <laughs> we were very
2: desperate Ooh. to get you. Thank yeah. you. And that and I came in with, you know, naturally, you join Sequoia. There is an imposter in your mind that says, do you really belong here? And what's special about the team is, like, the way Tat describes me is it's a team of spiky individuals. So everyone is amazing at something rather than everyone being pretty good at all the things. And so Jess builds community everywhere she goes. Like she helped build and start Allrays. She is an extreme connector. Like I know Kara from upfront because Jess introduced us as friends and now collaborators. And she does this for her founders too. And then you know who 's a career long investor has fifteen years of seeing every enterprise saAS company under the sun in extreme pattern recognition so to come in just wearing this like bottoms up go to market hat felt very comfortable and appreciated because it was like a spike I could add to this whole crew so
0: you um, you talked about the imposter syndrome and i 'm really interested in kind of that because when i um, was a junior reporter um, assigned to help on a cover story Forbes did in 2014 on Sequoia, I, or even earlier, the years blend together. Um, we were hearing about how Don Valentine and some of the founders and sort of OG folks at Sequoia would you know, still be sitting in the room sometimes for these meetings. And we were talking then to sort of the, the new generation at the time about how they felt comfortable speaking up in a partner meeting, how they did kind of, you know, find their place. So much more recently, um, you know, and, and most recently with you, Danny. like how have you felt comfortable or found your stride to kind of speak up and, you know, champion a deal when you think it needs to be championed or something like that?
2: It's such a good question. I think generational transfer is something that Sequoia has done remarkably well. And I think... Uh, the firm has done it well by taking ego entirely out of the equation and thinking always about how to reinvent ourselves for the future. In terms of creating a safe space for me to feel comfortable speaking up, I mean, one very direct thing is, I remember my first partner meeting, Ruloff said, Danny, what do you think? And I'm like, wow, my opinion adds value here. And then another partner was encouraging me, you know, whenever there's something on the go-to market side, like I have a differentiated opinion. So frankly, it started with an invitation. uh, And then over time, just kind of found my voice, realized that like each person brings their lens to the table and, and that was that. What about you?
1: I probably said a lot of really dumb things my first <laughs> few months at partner meetings. False. Um, I'd never done a single angel investment before, but we have sort of a training culture. And so, you know, you shadow a lot of people, um, you go to meetings with folks and then debrief that 15 minutes afterwards where you just talk through why Alfred Lin thought this was a good marketplace and why this one wasn't incredibly helpful for learning. And so I went from unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent and then hopefully have reached somewhere hopefully competent but that that's
2: i mean genuinely how how i think it works yeah jess is extremely humble (laughs) um yeah and and part of what's helped me ramp up is being an apprentice to someone like jess and all of our other partners and just kind of absorbing how each person approaches the trade and approaches this career and then you figure out what your kind of your own style is the other I was warned when I joined Sequoia too about like i think it 's called Baker scholar syndrome basically like don 't feel pressure to join Sequoia and then be the loudest person in the room and prove that you have something to say by talking like less is more and so um, so that has also given me some confidence in what i don 't say and what I perceive
0: with the pace of investing that we see today um, how would you where would you put Sequoia on the spectrum of sort of consensus investing versus you know, a, uh, non-consensus investing where we've seen some, some firms basically empower partners to do deals completely autonomously um, and then kind of you know, reconcile that later. I, it's my understanding that it's not the way that Sequoia operates, but how do you explain how you guys do reach consensus and how you're able to do that at a, you know, the pace that is required in this environment?
1: We have a unanimous voting model, which is a little bit unusual. Um, We do believe in sponsor conviction, though, so you don't have to not everyone has to love the investment, but anybody can block an investment, and so that does require like a certain level of diligence and thoroughness. A memo that explains it. You know, we try to go into those partner meetings and debates with like the spirit of like we're all here to just make the right decision. Let's not let ego get in the way, or you know, and let's actually you know tear this thing apart. <laughs> um, and then we come out of it the be- you know with the commitment. All right, we we're all in now. It doesn't matter if you didn't like it. You you. If I need bottoms-up sales support for Ironclad, I literally just introduced Danny like last week to talk to the VP of product, right? And um, it, it would have it would have been the same amount of help regardless of what, whether you'd agreed with the original investment or not. Yeah,
2: I would also say that there's a lot of trust building. This was a really pleasant surprise when I joined. There's a lot of trust building that happens even outside a partner meeting that really encourages. Extreme dissent and really direct conversation during partner meeting. So, consensus may be a misleading word. There's not, every, you know, everyone's not just like placating one another's ego and saying, yes, there's real debate. But then in offsites, we do these personal check ins and people share their whole selves and who they are as a parent and who they are as a partner. And, you know, Jess and I will go on one on one walks and we know each other's children. Like, mm-hmm. e- You build these really deep relationships so that when you're at partner meeting around the table, you can have a fiery conversation and then agree to make a decision and and go with it.
0: So if someone vetoes a deal, you all just move on to, you know, there's no hard feelings, basically, because I feel like I would have hard feelings.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to, like be worried about it but it's so funny we often reflect back we're very data driven we go back and look at our decisions regularly we track them all and so sometimes we go back and I know I have been blocked on things and I'm very grateful especially when I was new to venture and I wanted to basically give away money to everybody <laughs> yeah genuinely like it's and so we do that we go back we write long post-mortems on misses um, we're pretty diligent about like re-examining the the judgment
0: yeah got it so another thing I want to ask you both about is um, the non-investing stuff you do inside Sequoia because from the outside, it definitely looks like Sequoia is building out an organization, kind of becoming a little bit more of a company in some ways with engineers, with you know go-to-market expertise. We've sort of seen this macro trend with VC firms either staying pretty small or perhaps adding services and other ways to support their portfolio. Um, could you each maybe talk a little bit about you know that how you're fitting into that strategy within Sequoia and how you see that as a benefit. So maybe maybe we can start with you, Jess.
1: I think it's it's clear the pace of investing has gone up so much, and um, I think to keep up with the the pace of of seed, even at the growth stage, like I said, it's going so much faster. You need to figure out what your moats are, what your strategy is. Um, Some firms are throwing people at the problem, some are are throwing money at the problem. I think we are trying to think like a company. Like the same way that we would ask our founders, you're in a competitive market, what are you gonna do? What's your sustainable competitive advantage? What are your moats? We ask ourselves that same question all the time. And so I think our answer is, it's a bunch of different moats that we're trying to create, whether it's the Sequoia Capital Fund, which is something Rulof in particular innovated on. So it's a sort of a financial structural moat. There's, um, we're trying to supercharge our investors with an engineering team. We actually build our own product with a software team that's like almost series A stage size. And so if we can take each investor and make them more efficient, um, have a hive mind across all the companies that we ever intersect with, have data science signals to know that something is you know, trending positively or not. Um, so there's that and then there are moats like community and sort of curriculum, like the tribal knowledge of working with great founders and how do we connect them to each other? How do we have a network advantage? And so we just think about all those things all the time. I play a role on the product and engineering side. I help oversee some of those efforts. Um, I help teach our seed curriculum program. Danny is um, helps teach a lot of the go to market stuff inside of that program as well. And so and then I think Danny's also leading a lot of our network advantage programs. She has a great network and so just thinking through how do we involve folks from across the ecosystem to help companies?
0: Danny, how much of your time do you spend kind of would you would you guess you spend with the portfolio helping them with your expertise from from the startups you worked at versus, you know, meeting with founders or thinking about those future investments?
2: A lot and a lot, lot. and in the okay, well, I want to go back to the to Jess's role because to me, she is creating an unfair advantage for the rest of us, like Jess's full-time investor and leader at Sequoia, and she is our chief product officer. So she, like, and for anyone here who knows Jess, like, it's very on-brand. She is building at Sequoia. Like, the founder hat is still there while being an investor, which I think gives her amazing empathy. Um, And what it it enables for me and for the rest of us is um, an ability to focus on finding the right founders, building deep connections with them, standing out and being able to partner at the right time. So I'm very grateful for for Jess as my partner and, and you know, for the, the innovation that we've had within the firm. Um, okay, and then my time. So I realized this in the beginning, like, I was like, I'm not sure how to spend my time. I have this blank canvas. I went from managing a big team to managing nobody. So I'm like, okay, how's my day going to be spent? And what I realized was I get the most mojo when I'm with founders. Like I'm just prancing around after I talk to a founder because we're brainstorming on something or I'm connecting them to like this awesome person in my network who would be perfect for their company. And so I'm not like tracking on some AI tracking thing about like how much time am I spending sourcing versus company building but it all feeds one another and you need that sense of positive energy when you're meeting with founders and you need those stories of like what other founders are looking for help with to be able to share what I might be able to add to a prospective founder who we've not yet partnered with. So, I don't know, (laughs) 60-60, a lot.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's a cheating answer for sure. so, so at, when you do have the the power of a brand like Sequoia behind you, um, does that create any misconceptions, or um, do founders maybe have an, a notion of Sequoia that you then need to revise or kind of re, you know reassess? Because obviously you you have a lot of benefit, I'm sure, from the power of that brand, but you know that brand also has a long history that may may or may not be current to what you guys are doing today. So. When you're kind of you know, telling people about Sequoia today, what would be sort of the, the first thing that you would re-educate them on or, or let, you know, want them to know?
2: I can start and then take it off. Um, well part of it is show, don't tell. I put myself in a founder's shoes, like if I were pitching a Sequoia, I would be sweating and nervous. And I would be looking to see if anyone's nodding or seeing whether they're like taking notes somewhere else. So one thing that I and all of our partners trying to do is just show extreme respect, admiration, undivided attention. And you can see it even on Zoom, whether someone is all in on the conversation, um, and try to show a lot of warmth and positivity and like Someone just stuck their neck out to build the thing, and they've gotten to x million in a r r no matter what your questions are on market size, like you congratulate them and you ask them how they did it and why they're motivated so like I think that's that's the big one where I just kind of want to show warmth and support and um gratitude that someone is letting us in to take a look at their baby and this thing that they've built, and hopefully like leave them feeling really, really good about themselves after the conversation, regardless of whether we invest or not.
1: Yeah, I think it's the, maybe the, we're very, I don't know, scary or something. Um, that, that is sometimes something I hear. I don't think I'm that scary. Um, and it, D- Danny isn't. Um, <laughs> uh, I think maybe also we hear sometimes like, oh, you guys are a later stage, right? Like you don't do seed investing. I mean, we've actually done more seeds in the last year than A's. Um, Sometimes we hear, we don't do crypto, you know, we just announced crypto fund, and then uh, just for the token piece, and 20% of our investments were crypto, so maybe those are some of the misconceptions, yeah.
0: Got it. Um, It's obviously an age-old question, but how do you navigate potential signal risk where people see some of those big Sequoia wins being, you know, eventually really big positions that were maybe early stage and growth, and they're thinking, oh, well, you know, if, if they're not trying to preempt every single round, you know, we're not going to be known as that, you know, signature company.
1: We like to think of it as a signaling advantage. Actually, I mean, really, I, yeah, there there is a little bit of that. But if if, if um, you work with us, you you know, I think our data shows you're like four x more likely to raise your next round uh, from C to A. So,
2: yeah. Also, like the X operator in me, if I were job hunting and I wanted to go to an early stage company. I haven't had time to scour the entire landscape of companies and know which ones have the most remarkable founders who have cracked the nut on a market. So, like, I'm looking for shortcuts. And what Sequoia provides, you know, at the seed is basically a shortcut to say, like, something good is probably happening here. And so what that empowers a founder to do, I hope, is be able to hire people that are almost like out of their league in terms of the stage at which they would be bringing on really um uh really senior employees and so i think that's a, that's a counter to the signal risk
0: well so we learned from twitter that y combinator and stripe are mafias so is sequoia a mafia in your mind <laughs>
1: <laughs> no comment on that that was crazy actually <laughs> yeah that
0: but i mean the the power of the network presumably is a big part of the draw, right? The the access to other Sequoia founders, that founders, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, the community is really helpful. Um, you know, they DM each other all the time. They chat. Um, we host regular events. Um, not unlike Upfront is doing with Tomorrow with all the founders coming here. I mean, those are some of the best times. And we kick ourselves out of the room for part of that conference so they can just get together and talk and maybe talk about us, I don't know. <laughs> but just to hang out and really feel safe and comfortable, you know. And a lot of our really late-stage founders, like Brian Chesky and at Airbnb or, or, or Tony at DoorDash, they still come, you know, yeah, and give back.
0: Got it. Um, when you all think internally about how you avoid um, becoming uh, less relevant or sort of, you know, having the best days of Sequoia be in the past as opposed to the future. Um, what what has been the biggest takeaway from sort of recent trends in venture or in the startup world that, that you are leaning into to kind of keep Sequoia mobile and kind of looking ahead that way?
2: I can answer, th- this is another like fresh eyes surprised about Sequoia culture thing. I thought when something's going well, stick with the thing that's going well. You know, do more of that. And what I've been very pleasantly surprised by is, um, you know, in every offsite it's like, how, looking ahead, we're only as good as our last investment. What are we doing differently? What should we com- change completely? Sequoia Capital Fund was a perfect example of that so um you know I don't think we sit and think this is irrelevant we we're we're um, at risk of being irrelevant, but we are pushing ourselves the way that we would push our founders to think, which is like how do you constantly innovate, reinvent, never s- rest on your laurels and like especially when times are good how do you insert some pressure into the system and i think part of part of us doing that is is bringing in you know fresh perspectives consistently
1: yeah i mean obviously the pace is going up like the capital is flowing in but i i think one of the most interesting trends is actually the founders are coming into venture, right? Like a lot of people are solo capitalists, starting their own funds. Some are even doing it while still running their own companies. And I mean, we've had a scouts program for a while, but it's it's just becoming really, people who use tech, like their whole day job is to use technology to disrupt their own industry. They're all coming into to venture now, right? And so I I think, you know, we're in a great high margin business, right? And it has been a cottage industry until, you know, I mean, sure, it's always been changing. SoftBank, there's always something new, but I really think there needs to be more fundamental innovation. And that, that's what keep us, keeps us up at night. Like our 20, I remember our 2020 offsite was, what is our 2030 strategy? And everybody pitched something and we read through all each other's memos and we just talked about that. So we we really try to think like a, a company.
0: Yeah. Got it. So in a sentence each, tell me what is going to be the thing that you're most excited about for the rest of the year.
1: Like investing theme-wise,
0: is that what you mean? Or internally at Sequoia that you guys can share.
1: I don't think I can share the internal <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I'm just really excited about some of the the, uh, the the product stuff we're working on for the founders. Um, so there's that. And then from an investing theme perspective, I think um, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about the journey of the caregiver. Um, So whether, you know, we've got, I've been looking at elder care right now. That's a tough, very tough space. But I've been, you know, over the last five years, I've been really thinking about the journey, the path to parenthood, the path to um, uh, becoming uh, like child care, all of that. And so just the the journey of the caregiver. And then um, the other thing I'm spending a lot of time on is the crater economy, which obviously has been around for a while. But I think there's really a shift now where um, there's such a backlash against the social platforms for taking the cut of all the revenue and the creators, there's like 50 million of them, um, wanna go full-time, wanna own their audiences. And so I think things are shifting and then I actually think there's a window for the next consumer social thing, which I feel like that window's been closed for a while, but maybe maybe opening it up. It might be anonymous, it might be pseudonymous, but I think people are searching for something different in this culture where it feels like you could be canceled at any moment and you have to be really careful about what you say, whether you're a college student or a VC or whatever. And some people clearly don't care and just say whatever they want, which is fantastic. But most people don't feel comfortable. And so how do you react to that? How do you get to know someone really when you feel like you can't say what you really think?
0: Danny, final word, you want to get canceled with anything?
2: (laughs) (laughs) My answer is I'm so excited to meet more legendary founders go deep. I'm so happy the world is opening up and that I can get into market and like go on a long walk with a founder and understand their why. And you know, uh, so people is my answer.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the insights. Um, thank you all to the audience and we're
2: done. Thanks Alex. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you to the front team.